Well, I'm going to ask you to do something. Turn to the person next to you. Just smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell them you are hot. You're beautiful. Now, I do that because hopefully you're sitting next to your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, hopefully you're sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to do it again. So scope it out and sit in a good spot. I'm just trying to help you out. I like him. He met me at the door, and all I saw was a belt buckle. It was great. <laughs> so cute. Get your Bible out and turn it on if you would. And uh, some of you caught that. And turn with me to Psalms, the 84th chapter and the 11th verse. I want to speak to you on how honor is the currency of elevation. And by the way, tonight I'll be speaking on the characteristics or the personality traits of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a personality. And many times it is easy for us to understand God the Father because we are fathers or we have fathers or we are fathers. And so it's easy to understand God the Son because we have sons or we are sons. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's very difficult because we can't seem to grasp uh, the spirit itself. And when you study scripture, it gives us personality traits of the Holy Spirit and how to recognize those traits that are happening in your life. And tonight I'll speak to you on how the Holy Spirit manifests his personality. The personality of the Holy Spirit is the anointing, by the way. And the anointing is an amazing thing. Well, tonight, six o'clock, be here for that message. But tonight, to this morning, I want to speak to you on how how to honor, or honor is the currency of elevation. And I want you to turn with me to Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. When you develop a culture of honor, you are operating in godly principles that will affect every area of your life. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your relationships, it'll affect your friendships, but ultimately it affects your walk with God. I believe honor is the currency that God uses to bring elevation. If you want to ascend to any, uh, any level of influence, you must learn that heaven's currency and favor is based in honor. If you want to elevate to any influence in your family, on your job, in, your, in the area where you are living, well, basically, you have to understand that honor is the currency that God uses to bring you to a point of elevation. Throughout Scripture, you can see this concept of honor woven deep into the fabric of God's Word. From the Genesis to the Revelation, everywhere we go, we should look for opportunities to honor uh, the lives of people that are all around us. In our conversations, in the way we treat people, at home, at work. At the Casey's down the street or uh, in the restaurant, wherever you are, you should look for opportunities to, to honor those that are around you. If you see someone doing a good job, then tell them, hey, you're doing a really good job. And do it right then in there in front of all of the coworkers or uh, in front of all the people. Recognize their accomplishments. Give them credit in front of their colleagues. Why? Because this brings honor and you're not just doing them a favor, you're doing yourself a favor. 
when you show honor, there is a commanded blessing that is released into your life. When someone arrives at the grocery line at the same time you do, and if you're anything like me, you're there only because your wife told you to be there. I hate going to the grocery store. And she'll text me and she'll say, can you just get one thing? But I know by the time I leave that store, that one thing is going to be about eight or nine. So now I'm standing in the uh, 10 items or less line, and I've got so much to do. And someone will come, and they've got more than 10 items, and it just drives me crazy. Well, don't count all the stuff in their grocery cart. Just let them go first. That is a simple way to show and grow the habit of giving honor in your life. How to honor those in authority by doing what they ask. You may not, now listen now, show honor by respecting the position. You may not agree with the policy, but because you are a person of honor, you respect the authority and you do it anyway. And I've found that the amount of honor that you show motivated by a good heart will be directly related to the amount of God's favor that you receive in your life. It's like a heavenly bank account. And God keeps amazing books. In 35 years of ministry, I have learned that God is an amazing accountant. He's an ama- he keeps amazing books. And God understands things. And it's a, like a heavenly bank account. If you are a Scrooge with giving your honor and your attitude is, I can't give them credit, they will look so much better than me. You would be surprised how many times I have heard that. In 35 years of ministry, usually it's at a funeral when people are jockeying for position, and it's family members, and it's very sad. And they'll say, well, pastor, I I can't give so-and-so any honor or any credit. It'll make them look better than me. And I'll say, well, then you won't see the amount of godly favor upon your life that God wants to pour into your life because God keeps amazing books. And you won't see God's favor. What Favor is nothing more than unmerited grace. You don't deserve it. But God pours his grace and his mercy on you because he's a loving father. No, if you can't give favor or you can't give honor, you are making withdrawals from your heavenly leadership bank account. And it will soon you'll be operating in the red. And these withdrawals hinder your character. Now, we need to stop right here and talk about character because character is not a subject that we like to talk about in America anymore. It's, it's a subject that no one brings around. But character is the sum of your choices. Hear it again. You develop your character is the sum of your choices. When someone says, do they have a good character, what they're asking is, do they have a history of making solid choices? Now, as a child of God, we have to ask, not only do they have good character, but do they have godly character? A godly character is developed by living a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview believes that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Every dot, every jot, every tittle is the inspired word of God. So we filter our entire life, not through Republican, not through Democrat, not through independent Tea Party, not through what man says, but we filter our word and our life through the written word of God. Everything from our finances to the way we raise our children to our entertainment to how we select people to come around us and be our friends. Those are all filtered through a biblical worldview. And so many times a biblical worldview will cause us to have to stand on one political side or the other. But you're not doing that based upon a political party but a biblical worldview. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? 
Well, a biblical worldview simply states God made man and woman in his image, in his likeness. There is no confusion with the gender roles in heaven. God creates the male and female. That is not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. It's a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview will cause us to stand on life begins at conception. That, again, is not a political statement. The book of Jeremiah says, I knew you wonderfully before you were even formed. That means he saw your life force before you were formed, and he said, I've got a plan, and I've got a purpose for that life, and that life will then be brought through the mother, and it's an amazing thing. Life begins at conception. That is a scriptural worldview. That's not a political statement. And here in a couple of weeks, we will have a chance to vote a biblical world view. And so, we live our life in that manner. We live our life believing that every Bi- at the Bible is the inspired word of God. It begins to become everything of who we are. And if you have a, a biblical or a godly character, your choices are based upon a biblical worldview. And so you can see a man and say, he's a man of integrity, he's a man of honor, he has built his godly character on the word of God. And that's really what we want to do. And so we say that because so many people will say, well, I can't give them honor, it'll make them look better than me. Well, then you won't see the favor that God has intended you to have. And you will begin to have withdrawals from your character. These take away from the God's ability to give you influence and wisdom. If you can't give the honor, then God can't give you influence and wisdom simply because you can't be trusted to build up the people that are all around you already. How can God give you more influence, more wisdom if you can't build up the ones he's given you already? And God wants to use you to better others. However, can he trust you to speak life into the ones he has put you in contact with on a daily basis? Not in a way that is manipulative so you can advance your own agenda. No, please understand, God sees the heart of man. And we've all met people that we look at them and say, well, the only reason you're being nice or the only reason you're acting this way is you have an agenda. Whether that be political or motivated by selfish means, you have an agenda. And that does more damage than good because people will feel used and they know you're not sincere. On the other hand, when you are giving with your honor, operating out of a heart of generosity and a Christ-like love, and you're always planting seeds of life and giving credit and treating people with respect and building them up, people will see that as well. And they'll see a genuine warmth and a Christ-like love in you. Now, if they're not believers, they won't know it's a Christ-like love, but they'll sense something is different. And let me ask, when's the last time someone looked at you and said, There's something different about you. I just sense there's just, it's not you because you don't have much, I can tell. I had a man tell me that one time on a plane. He said, there's something different about you. You don't have much, I can tell. But there's something around you that's driving me crazy. And, of course, we know that as the living presence of the Holy Spirit. And people will sense that as well, a genuine warmth. Well, then I believe you're making deposits into your heavenly leadership bank account. It shows in your godly character. 
And God sees that he can use you and trust you to be a builder in people's lives, a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of homes and paths or lifestyles for people to follow and people to live in. And that is why Isaiah says, Isaiah 58, 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets and dwellings. God will use you to repair the lives of others if he could trust you to pour blessing and favor and honor into somebody's life can you do that on a daily basis if you can i believe god will be generous with his favor back to you remember favor is nothing more than unmerited grace it's something you don't deserve but god does it anyway listen if you want to see more of god's goodness then show honor in a greater way in Luke 7, 36, we see this illustrated in a very practical way. Jesus is invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee. And I love this narrative because it's so, it's so awesome in the way things set up. When you read the whole story, it's very easy to see that Simon's attitude towards Jesus is rather ambivalent, really. To his credit, he does uh, address him as teacher, which showed some respect, but on the other hand, he doesn't exactly welcome Jesus with open arms. Let, let me paint the picture for you in your mind, because it seems likely that Simon asked Jesus to dinner in order to give him the once-over, to advance his own political agenda, because when you read the whole thing, it tells us that he also invited other like-minded Pharisees, almost as if they're going to tag-team Jesus to put him in a hard spot and when he can't answer their questions, it elevates them in, their, in, their, in the eyes of the people that are watching them. And what they don't realize, though, is that they are dealing with the one who made their mind. They're going to try to play games with Jesus, and he created their mind. And so Simon has no idea what is coming. And he's checking Jesus out. But really, Jesus is checking Simon out. Now, in Jesus' day, the guests received, were received at the front door of a home with a kiss, given a bowl of water to wash the dust off of their feet, and a little perfumed oil for their hair, just a little dab, just, you know, just a little. Have you ever had someone that has so much cologne or perfume, you smelt them three days later? Just a little dab will do you. Well, Simon doesn't extend any of these customary courtesies to Jesus. You have to ask why. In my study, I'm sitting there, and I'm picturing this mental, this, um, mentally I'm picturing this, this, this scene of this amazing uh, dinner party with all of the uppity-ups, you know, all the upper crests where the flakes hang out, you know, and all sitting there, and they're checking Jesus out. And Jesus, he's not given the customary courtesies, and I asked the Holy Spirit in prayer, Lord, why was it? I can only suppose that Simon was so busy welcoming his really important guests, his friends and fellow Pharisees, that Jesus was overlooked. Jesus wasn't important. So the sea walker and the blind healer, the lily of the valley and the bright morning star, the fairest of 10,000, the same one that said, let there be light, and there was light, the, the same one that formed man out of a pre-existing substance saw that it was good, but God never forms anything he's not going to fill. So you see, he formed the earth, and he filled it with vegetation. He formed the ocean, and he filled it with fish. He formed the air, and he filled it with birds. He formed you as man, and 
filled it with an eternal spirit. And this is the one that Simon doesn't highly esteem. He welcomes everybody else, but he overlooks Jesus. All with that as background, I've got to ask, what have you honored in your home this week? In the midst of your busy lifestyle here in America, what have you honored? Who have you honored in your life this week? Show me who you honor and show me what you honor, and I'll show you the kind of person you really are. I want that to sink deep into your heart. Show me who you honor and show me what you honor, and I will show you the kind of person you really are. And so the story gets so good because he's not honoring Jesus. However, the woman who wasn't supposed to be there, she changes everything. Now, that's a very kind way of saying the, the prostitute who snuck in through the kitchen. When you read the whole narrative, she's a, a, a woman of ill repute, which is a nice way of saying she's a prostitute, and she sneaks into the kitchen. She comes through the servant's door. And while Jesus is reclined at the table, a woman living a very sinful life came into the house with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. And she stood behind him and began to weep and wet his feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. She then pours the oil of perfume on his feet and begins to anoint him. Listen, oil of perfume in this instance represents honor and blessing. You can say she is pouring her honor on Jesus. Now the Pharisee, he gets upset. And he says an amazing thing. He says, why did she waste the oil? We could have sold the oil and given the money to the poor. Put a little mark there in your, in your scripture, in your Bible, because this was what theologians call the law of first mention. The law of first mention. What this means is, if at any other time in your frequent Bible reading, if you come across the same instance or a similar instance, take note. There is another place in Scripture that the exact same thing plays out. It wasn't a woman of ill repute, though. It was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus loves. And she brings an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, and she pours it on his feet. And Judas, the hand-picked disciple of Christ, he says, why this waste? We could have sold the money and given the money to the poor. Now, what's interesting, later on in, in retrospect, we find out that John in John chapter 12 gives us a little background because John says that Judas actually said, why wasn't it sold for 300 denarii? Now, 300 denarii in our economy would be thirty to $40,000. She took thirty dollars to $40,000 of expensive perfume, most likely a family heirloom. One little drop will fill the whole room with fragrance, but it wasn't enough for Mary. She pours the whole thing. Why? It was the most expensive thing she had. It was the closest thing to her heart. And she said, I've got to show Jesus now how much I love him. I can't wait because he's going to die and I've got to do it now. This woman of ill repute, she comes and she says, I've got to show the master how much I love him, how much he has saved me, how much he has changed me. And she brings the most, whatever she has, and she pours it at her feet. But the two religious guys, religious guys, says, why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? Well, now listen, let's look at the motivation. What motivates the heart? 
Remember, we're talking about honor is the currency of elevation. What motivates your heart? And we find out that Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but John tells us he was a thief. And he used to steal the money out of the offering. And we find out that the Pharisee, he could care less about the poor. He was motivated by political gain. So what motivates you? I mean, come on now, ask yourself. I I don't want to know, that's between you and God, but you've got to ask yourself this morning, what really motivates me? In my marriage, in my family, in my life, what motivates me? Jesus, he tells both men the exact same thing. It's the law of first mention. He also tells Judas, and he also tells Simon. Don't bother the woman. She has done the best thing. In other words, anytime you are showing honor, God is saying you are doing the best thing. Now, here's where our story takes off. Because Simon, again, he doesn't realize who he's dealing with. And so Jesus turns to him and he goes, hey, Simon, Simon, I've got a question for you. This is where Jesus is about to turn the tables. If they, if they had Facebook then and Instagram, it would be going crazy. Twitter would have been knocked lights out. Because Jesus now puts Simon on center stage, exactly where Simon wants to be. Now, for some reason, in my mind, I picture Simon to have long robes, flowing robes, and uh, I'm going to date myself, uh, kind of like Liberace, if you remember him. And Simon just is kind of like this, and a little light in the loafers, you know, and I don't know why I think that way, but I imagine Jesus saying, Simon, it's like, yes, Lord, yes. And his robes are flowing, and he's got all the upper crust there in his fancy house. Yes, Lord. Simon, hey, listen, uh, there were two people that owed a great debt. Yes, yes. Both of them couldn't pay the debt, and one debt was greater than the other. Yes. And so the landowner, he forgives both debts. Simon, which one would love more? Simon on center stage now, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven of the most would love the most. Jesus had him. Simon, do you see this woman? Well, yes, Lord, everybody sees the woman. Simon, when I came in, you didn't offer me any of these customary thanks or habits. But she has come and she has washed my feet with her tears and she has shown me great honor. Well, let me read it to you. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her in verse 48 of Luke 7, Your sins are forgiven. Notice she gave honor and then she received favor. Again, what is honor? It's nothing but unmerited grace. 
When you pour out the oil of honor, motivated by a good heart that loves God, it then becomes the blessing that is returned back to you. Listen now. No honor, no blessing. Limited honor, limited blessing. You will never receive what you're not willing to give. You will never receive what you're not willing to give. And if you don't give honor, you won't have the honor to the level God truly wants you to have. And do you realize that some of you can go to a new level in your families and in your marriage and in your church? You can see breakthroughs and things that you've been praying about if you would simply begin to honor the people God has put into your life in a greater way. Well, let me, let me bring it to you another way. In, in Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus could not do any miracles in his hometown of Nazareth because of their unbelief. They said, there's nothing special about this guy. Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the carpenter's kid? If it happened today, they would say, didn't this kid throw hay with us the other day? Wasn't he out there in the field shucking? Who is this guy? He borrowed my John Deere last year, and he hasn't even returned. His dad hasn't returned it. I don't, I don't think there's anything with this guy. The lack of honor was a roadblock to the anointing. In fact, Jesus went on to say in Mark 6, 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. In other words, they were so familiar with him that they developed the conformity that is bred from familiarity. The conformity that is bred from familiarity. There was no fear of Jesus. They had lost their fear. In other words, they no longer honored him because they were so familiar to him. They had no fear of the Lord. And I'm deeply concerned that there's an attitude in our churches in America that we no longer fear the Holy Spirit. We no longer fear God. We're so familiar with him. We've grown up in the blessing. We've grown up. This is what we do. We come to church on Sunday. We might even, like today, get lucky and get a potluck. And this is wonderful. It's awesome. But then we live our lives on an everyday basis with no fear. Let me explain it to you this way. I fear my wife. <laughs> Been married to her now 35 years. I fear my wife. Any other men fear your wife? You better raise your hand right here. Yeah. He, yeah. It's not a fear. Well, it is. She can beat me up. No, I, I jest. But it's, it's not that fear. It's a fear See, the fear of the Lord is a deep and unfathomable love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. Catch it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is a deep and unfathomable love for Jesus with an even deeper hatred for sin. In other words, I live my life publicly and privately that only brings the Holy Spirit honor and grace. I fear him. I fear my wife. So I live a life publicly and privately that only brings her honor and grace. In other words, I don't flirt with other women because I fear my wife. You won't see me making uh, uh, jokes about my wife in public because I highly esteem her. I fear her. I want to lift her up in front of my three sons and my daughter. You'll never see me living a life publicly and privately that demeans her. You'll never catch me looking at other women lustfully, not because it's not a battle, because that's every man's battle, but it's because you, you fight that because you fear and you love your wife. Likewise, I fear the Holy Spirit. So I live my life publicly and privately in a manner that only brings him honor and grace. And when you do that, 
you get rid of a lot of questions. Questions like, it's not should I drink, but why I don't. It's not can I smoke, but why I don't. Oh, all those go out the window when you begin to fear the Lord, when you get rid of the conformity that is bred from It's not should I watch that movie, but why I don't. It's not should I hang out with the guys and, and cussing and, and dipping and running, but why I don't. And the reason I don't is I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit for the same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body the Lamb of God lives in me. And so I don't want to grieve him. And we can argue all of the social ills about drinking and all that kind of stuff. But really, I, I lay that aside, and I'm going to talk more about that tonight. But I lay that aside because it's a hindrance to my walk with God. What do you fear? No, friends, same principles apply with the Holy Spirit. No honor, no healings, no honor, no promotion. I believe the amount of power that God releases is directly tied to the amount of honor that you show in your, in, to the Holy Spirit. What have you honored in your home today? Take it a step further. Paul says in Ephesians 6.23, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live a long life. That's the commanded blessing. If you show honor, it will be well with you. It should start in our families with the people that are closest to us. But I've seen people treat complete strangers better than they treat their own spouse. A friend of mine, John Palmer, said, we need to give the best of our love, our time, and our attitude to those who will be the last to leave our caskets. Now let that one sink in. And I've seen people treat complete strangers better than they treat their own spouse. It should be the exact opposite. My wife and I have been married 35 years, and uh, she's awesome. She's amazing. She's talented. She's organized, and I'm not. She's good looking. Well, we're equal there, but... But, you know, she'll go to a place called Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know if you know where that is. And, and she'll go in there and buy all the boxes. We, sh we share a closet. And she'll get everything organized. And she marks it Randy's socks in that box, Randy's underwear in that box. And she just has it all organized. And the other day she had worked in there, Jeff, a long time. And, and, and two weeks later she comes to me and she goes, you irk me. I go, why do I irk you? And she goes, because I spent all this time organizing our closet, labeling everything, and then two weeks later, Hurricane Randy comes blowing in, and, you know, you're just throwing everything everywhere, and, and you don't care, and, you know, she said, it really irks me. And, and I'm like every man, I have the gift, what's called selective hearing. And it went in this year, and it went out this year, and I said, okay, you know, I'm sorry, and and, and I didn't pay it any attention until I couldn't find my golf shoes. And I didn't have the guts to ask her. Because she would have said, if you just put them back in the box marked golf shoes, kind of like my keys. She has hung a little hook by the door. And she said, if you just hang your keys there, duh. They can't walk away on their own, duh. And so I didn't have the guts to ask her. Because I know she's going to look at me like, duh. They can't walk away on their own. I hate when she does that. They can't walk away. And so I was on my hands and knees. And I've got a tea time with the guys from Convoy of Hope. I don't know if you know Convoy of Hope. 
but the head of Convoy of Hope is a dear friend, and he's calling me, Hal Donaldson. Come on, Rand, come on. We're, we're teeing off, and, and where are you? Oh, man, I can't buy my golf shoes. Ask your wife. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. I'm not going to ask my wife. So I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm pushing everything around. And on this instance, I made the mistake of asking the Holy Spirit for help. And I said, Lord, can you help me find my golf shoes? And I didn't hear an audible voice, but (laughs) the Holy Spirit whispered, Randy, when are you going to start honoring your wife and doing what she asked so I can honor your prayers? It was a Scooby-Doo moment. Those of you my age and older, who? I said, Lord, that can't be you. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Gentlemen, it's not talking about she's less than you, physically weaker. And as being heirs together is the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is saying that if we don't show honor, our prayers may not be answered. The dream may not come to pass. And I'm sitting there now, and I'm weeping. Literally, I, I, was, I was on my hands and knees already. And, and I'm weeping. And I said, Lord, are you telling me that miracles, signs, and wonders at my ministry is being hindered because I can't keep the closet clean? And have you ever told the Holy Spirit, or has has the Holy Spirit ever told you, shut up. Stop sniveling. But that's literally what I felt like. He was telling me, stop. Grow up. Grow up. And I I sat there, and again, I didn't hear an audible voice, church, but I, I did feel the Holy Spirit saying, Randy, it's not that you can't keep the closet clean that's hindering. No, the closet is the trigger point in your marriage. Oh, don't miss this. And now the Holy Spirit had my attention. You see, Randy, when you can't honor your wife, it triggers her and opens her up to spiritual conflict and warfare that she should never have to deal with. In the same manner that Simon the Pharisee had the ability to regulate the temperature on who they honored, likewise, as the priest of the home, we have the ability from God given to us as the priest of the home to regulate what we honor in our home. And the Holy Spirit starts showing me when you can't honor your wife, it triggers her and it opens her up to all kinds of spiritual warfare that she should never have to deal with. Satan is the accuser of the church. He accuses us day and night. And he has the ability to create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking. You're supposed to come to your own line of reasoning, and there'll come these thoughts. And Satan will create a train of thought and start dropping it in the mind of your spouse, of your wife, of your husband. And the thoughts will come, he doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. All he cares about is that you respond to him physically. He just wants you to be there for him, but he doesn't care about all the hard work you do. When that is completely not the case, but Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and we have now opened our family to trigger points. What are the trigger points in your family that are pushing them off the deep end simply because we couldn't honor my Lord? That's an amazing truth. That's an amazing truth. 
And it says, wives especially honor is important that you honor your husband. Honor is one of the husband's greatest needs. You can say the right thing, but if you do it in a dishonorable way, he's not going to accept anything you say, ladies. If you say it kind of sarcastic and rolling your eyes, he's not going to take it as an honor. He's going to take it as a slight. And if there's the slightest bit of dishonor, sarcasm, and disrespect, his defenses will go up. And he'll say, I don't believe you. While speaking at a very large church in Southern California, they had, a, uh, they had two Starbucks in the lobby. It was, it, was, it was pretty posh. And they had two Starbucks in the lobby, and they actually had a, 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 uh, a pool table in the men's bathroom. They did. And over every urinal, they had a little TV that played ESPN1 in this urinal, ESPN2, and ESPN3 in this urinal. I called my wife, and I said, babe, I can have my scone. I can go to the bathroom, play pool, and never leave. This is, like, awesome. She said, you're so dumb. <laughs> so I'm standing in the lobby of this church, and there's five services that morning, and I'm standing there, and I've got my coffee, and... Um, I'm leaning again, and there's a big atrium, you know, so I can see outside in the parking lot. And I watch this van pull in, and this young man jumps out, and he is dressed to the nines. He's got the skinny jeans. He's got his hair faded just right. Look like a Ken doll. And he just came cruising, you know. And then the door, side door opens, and the cutest little thing, his wife, gets out. And she starts unloading the kids. But he keeps coming into church. He walks right past me, goes to the Starbucks, gets his latte, and he's just telling her, hey, how's it going? High-fiving everybody. And I'm watching his wife, and she's loaded down like a pack mule. She's got one diaper bag here, one diaper bag here. She puts one kid in the stroller. She's pushing that stroller, and she's got another kid, a two-year-old, doing the wet noodle. Everybody know what a wet noodle is? And she's dragging that kid across the parking lot. She make, she's starting to come, and this guy turns around, and he looks at the, at, the, uh, at the church bulletin, and he sees my face, and he sees me standing. He goes, hey, hey, you're the man, and I wanted to say, and you're not, but I held my tongue, and he comes up to me, and he shakes my hand, and I looked at him, and I said, hey, son, um, you're going to pay for that. He goes, oh, pastor, I already paid for this. I go, no, not that, that. And I pointed over, and his wife is coming through the door, and he looks over just in time to see three other just as good-looking young men run over to his wife. They are ushers at the door, helping her take the kids out of the stroller, undoing the, the packs over her. And he stands there in stunned silence as three other men walk with his wife as they're walking away down the hallway to the Christian education wing, and he turns back, and I can see that he, the light bulbs are turning on. I said, young man, you're going to pay for that. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but when those kids are 18 years old, and she says, see ya, and you say, what in the world happened? Because you didn't create a culture of honor in your home. Now big old tears are rolling. And he goes, uh, I don't understand. And, and I love it when God puts things together, gang, because God, you know, he just, it's so awesome. And, and I looked into the Starbucks, and on their big screen TV, they had Fox News playing. Because we know every good Christian watches Fox. And so, no, just a joke. 
But they were playing scenes of uh, Kilauea, the volcano in Hawaii, and it was exploding at the time. And I said, see that volcano? He said, yeah, yeah, I, I see it. And he's fighting back the tears. I said, listen, I have ministered there. I have preached there on that island. Do you know right below Kilauea are golf courses that are gorgeous? And, and there's resorts and, and there's palm trees and there's, there's just amazing things on the surface. He goes, yeah. I said, but below the surface, if they don't monitor that, they're running the risk of losing everything they have. And your wife is beautiful, and on the surface, everything looks wonderful. But women are like volcanoes. It's a slow perk. Guys, we're like microwaves. But women are like crockpots. Oh, it's getting home. I'm pointing home now. If you could see what I see, people looking at each other out of the corner of their eye. And what happens is if you don't monitor what's happening below the surface, you run the risk of losing everything you have built. I've been married 35 years. Well, at the fifth service, he was in the altar every time. And the fifth service, he comes running up. He's got tears. <laughs> Pastor, I just want to let you know, I picked up my kids from the nursery. I said, bro, that's a great start. But it's only the beginning. Friends, a culture of honor. It's never too late to start. And you may say, well, my kids are too old. My kids are, it, 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 no, it's never too late to start. I, I want just the pianist to come, would you? Just the pianist. Just quickly, sis. And just begin to play softly. Friends, I've found that where there is honor, there's unity. Where there is honor, people get along. Where there's, there's respect and admiration, there's a, there's a team, there's enthusiasm, there's motivation. Why? Because when you pour out the oil of honor, it'll come back to you as God's blessing and favor. But let me close this for us and bring it home. I didn't know we were that close to the ocean. It's not like a whale. <laughs> the sad truth is you may be around people that are dishonorable people that are hard to love hard to respect and sometimes you have to honor people by faith and treat them not the way they are but the way you want them to become and when you honor someone who is dishonorable and you give someone respect that doesn't really deserve respect, when you're kind, even when they are not kind, when you're sowing seeds of blessings, even when they don't deserve it, you're looking past them and you're doing it as unto Jesus. And, and the human in us says, well, if they want to dishonor me, I'll dishonor them. If they want to hit me, I'm going to hit them. If they want to say something sarcastic, well, I can come back just as sarcastic. But that doesn't change a dishonorable situation. It just piles more stuff on. And suddenly, it just piles things. And suddenly, you find yourself, have you ever had the kind of situation where you felt you were on the bottom floor of a two-story outhouse? Let, let that illustration sink in. 
and things are just piling up all around you. And, and, and it doesn't help to pile more stuff around you, does it? The other sad reality is there are people here who have family members who don't deserve honor. Maybe a parent that did you wrong, a relative that cheated you, a, a brother-in-law that's always talking bad about you and criticizing. Again, the way to win is not by dishonor, but stay on the high road. Don't sink down to that level. Begin to pray and ask God <laughs> to give you a supernatural love to love like you've never been hurt. To love like you've never been hurt. And how many times have I heard the story of a grown adult who was mistreated and abused by their father and mother when they were children, and now they're adults, and they're saying, come on, Randy. I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother. I hate them. I can't even be in the same room with them, let alone the holidays. But it's an act of honor just to pray for them to change. And then pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you with a supernatural love, a love that a love that will cause you to love like you've never been hurt. Listen, I, I, let me just share this last story with you. I heard an all-too-familiar story about a ma young man in his early 20s who had been in disagreement, had a big disagreement with his father. He left the house angry. For nearly 30 years, they didn't talk. And... Uh, he got a call from his sister that dad's dying. He's laying in the hospital. And so he went to the hospital. As he's standing there in the door, dad looks over with all the heart monitors on. And he looks at him and they catch eyes. And the young man comes in and he says, dad? He goes, yeah. His dad says, what were we fighting about? He says, I don't even know, dad. Dad says, well, son, will you forgive me? He goes, no, no, you forgive me. Well, that son started to bring his children every Saturday on an hour and a half long drive to see grandpa. And one day, his three-year-old was sitting on grandpa's bed there in the retirement center. And he said, I wish grandpa lived with us. And so the son began to go about making that happen. All the son's life, he couldn't seem to get ahead, never get any good breaks. Year after year, he was living in a small apartment with his family crammed together. And one day, he said, you know what? I'm going to bring dad to come live with us in our apartment. She said, how is it going to work? He said, I don't know, but we're going to find a way. It wasn't too long after that that he got a promotion that he was trying to get for over 10 years. He didn't know how he was going to send his oldest daughter to college. But suddenly, as he began to honor and create the culture of honor, she received a scholarship to the university she was hoping to get. He got that promotion after 10 years. He moved his family out of a small apartment into a, their first home, and he was able to give dad his own bedroom and his own bathroom. One thing after another began to fall into place. Why? I believe there is a culture of dishonor. God's blessings are pulled back from your life. You will not walk in the fullness of what God has for you if you can't show the honor to the one he's given you. However, if you will do like the son and find the area of dishonor and start bringing honor, start bringing respect, you can break the cycle of dishonor. And listen, you don't do it to get. That's not what I'm saying. You don't give to get. You give because God first gave his only begotten son. 
and you break that culture of dishonor. You say, okay, Lord, we'll get to it your way. We're going to do it God's way. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes, and I want you to begin to reflect on what the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Because, friends, when you, when you honor, ultimately, you're honoring the Holy Spirit. And there are people here that I'm asking you to look past the family that, you, that are dishonorable and begin to say, Holy Spirit, would you change my heart? Would you show me? God is watching to see if you're going to pass the test and show honor with great respect and a position of authority. Holy Spirit, I need you right now. I need you to show me and to give me a love like I've never been hurt. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, there are people here that you're being confronted now by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, listen, I can supernaturally change your life if you'll just begin to show the honor. But first, you've got to be willing to honor me. You've got to be willing to honor me. Holy Spirit, have your way. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, right now, that you would touch the heart of every believer. If there's somebody here that says, Randy, I, I've got to begin a culture of honor in my home. I, I want to break the cycle. If there's been any dysfunction. And I want to see God do miracles. I want to see God do miracles. Are there any husbands here that would say, you know, I, I never realized that I'm opening my family up to spiritual warfare that they should never have to deal with? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Please just stand all over the room. I've asked her to play this song because this song has meant so much to me. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Come on, sing it, church. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. The name of Jesus is above every name. And if you'll respond to that name, not to me, not to Jeff, but the, the call of the Holy Spirit in this place right now. And at the count of three, if by faith you will step out and find a place in this altar to pray. And say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I want you to call on the name of Jesus. You're not, you're not responding to me. You're not responding to the church. No, you're, you're responding to the master. And at the count of three, 
And the only reason I count to three is that we all move together. If you're in this room and you say, Randy, I, I want a culture of honor. I, I'm longing for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. But the reality is I also have people that I have to love like I've never been hurt. And I want to see God do miracles in my family. What kind of preacher would I be to teach on a subject like this and not give you the opportunity to respond in the altars of grace, to kneel before the master and say, Lord, I, I want this to find fertile ground in my life. At the count of three, would you turn to the person next to you and just say, if you want to go forward, pray about a certain situation or just hungry for more of Jesus. I'll go with you so you don't have to pray alone. And I believe that as you step out in faith, that the Spirit of God will honor that. He'll honor your action. Because right now you're saying, why can't I just stay where I am? Well, you could. But there's something about that extra step of faith. That Jesus has come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I'm just putting a physical element to it. So at the count of three, not to put anybody on the spot, but because we, we as Christians, we are to bear one another's burdens. Just turn to them and say, very nicely, if you want to go, I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. And just find a place to kneel all over this altar. We're just going to worship the Lord. Let's do that. Can we do that? If you want to go pray about a situation. If you want to pray for greater honor in our church, that our church would honor a culture even though this culture is not honorable so that God's favor will be poured out at the count of three. Don't miss it. One, two, three. Right now, just turn to them. Now just take them by the hand and say, come on, let's go pray. Let's go believe God for a miracle. Let's go believe God for the outpouring of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Maybe you've opened your family up to some spiritual warfare that they should never have to deal with. Hallelujah. And as a family, we just kneel. Pastor Jeff, I just want you to come and start praying for your people. Lord, we agree right now. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I don't know what situation they're dealing with. But Lord, as the priest of his home, that he would create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is honored. That he would not open his wife and his family up to spiritual warfare that they should never deal with. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you now just to begin to call out the name of your children. Call the name of your grandchildren. Call the names of your sons and daughters. Say, Lord, that you would repair. That, Lord, we would we'd see miracles in our family. Help me show honor to love like I've never been hurt. Husbands and wives, if there's a situation that you need to ask forgiveness, just say, babe, would you just forgive me? I, it never dawned on me. I had to go to my wife and say, babe, I'm sorry. I, 
It never dawned on me. I, I was selfish. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God, because there is none like you. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. Hallelujah. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I long to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness, hallelujah, I worship you, almighty God, and there is none like you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Heal broken relationships. Heal marriages. Father, put hope into the hopeless. Father, may we determine as this church to, to love our community, even though there are people in this community that aren't worthy of love. They're not worthy of honor. Maybe it's your children that are living in another state or you haven't talked to them in a month, a year of Sundays. Maybe it's an in-law. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would give the people here a love like they've never been hurt. In fact, for the next 30 seconds, I want everyone to begin to pray that way. Holy Spirit, change my heart. That I would have a love like I've never been hurt. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I make a decision right now to honor God in my home. To honor God with my tithe. To honor God with my offerings. To honor God. If you're struggling with tithe and offering. Lord, I, I, I will honor you. Because I want to create a climate of honor. Motivated by a good heart. Because there is none like you I worship you oh prince of peace come on can we sing it that is what I long to do I give 
name of Jesus. For you are my righteousness. Lord, right now, I worship you, almighty God, because there is none like you. I worship, oh, let's sing it, church, almighty God, there is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I long to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. Hallelujah. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. There is none like you. There is none like you. Can you lift your hands and just tell them? There is none like you. There is none. There is none like you. Let's go to that former one. There is there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Can you make it a love song to Jesus? Just testify right now before we go. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Pastor, come here. Sing it again. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. There's none like Jesus. There's none like Jesus. Tonight, the personality traits of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask her to just to keep playing, and I was going to close, but in this atmosphere, you can just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. People ask me all the time, Pastor, how do we know the Holy Spirit is there? Well, number one, you can feel a peace. There's just a peace of God that settles upon a congregation. And number two, when you give the benediction and tell them they can leave, nobody leaves. I learned that 
speaking in Argentina, thousands of people in the soccer stadium, it's pouring rain. And I asked the missionary, so why are they all standing here? If it was America and it rained like this, they'd all go home. He smiled at me and he said, oh, brother. If they were here for you, they would leave when it rained. But they're here for him. So as long as he's here, we'll be here. And that's been the hallmark of our ministry. You stay as long as you want. She's just going to play softly. I'm going to ask if you're going to talk to please go outside or go downstairs. And we get to fellowship. But if you want to be in the presence of the Lord, you just stay as long as you want. Holy Spirit, have your way. May this be a hallmark day at Faith Assembly, Lord. To love like we've never been hurt. To show honor, to invest, to, to pray, to fast, to believe. Father, I pray for our nation. Coming up, Lord, in these midterm elections, it is critical that people will rise up as the church and vote a biblical worldview. Not for personalities, not for political gain, not for those who have been here in the past or those who have left or those who were in office. No, we vote for a political, not a political thing, but a biblical worldview. Father, don't take your hand off of our nation. We pray, Father, right now, and we pause to pray for our president and our vice president, to pray for our congressmen and our senators. It's far better that we pray for them, Lord, than we criticize. It's far better, Lord, that we lift them up and we ask the Holy Spirit to have their, his way in their life, that they be receptive to the call of God that God is Sending the Spirit of God right now to them. Father, I pray that they'd be receptive to it. Father, we thank you for our first responders. We thank you, Lord, for our, our veterans, for our military. But, Lord, I'm not ignorant to believe that we're being protected by our military alone. But by the sovereign hand of God, because we have a nation for the last 220-some-odd years have said that we will be the Christian seed of Christianity to the world. Lord, if we do not honor you and honor the Holy Spirit, we are in grief, great peril. Father, that we would honor you. That we would raise our children in the admonition of the Holy Spirit. That we would pour into them honor and integrity and a biblical worldview. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Now, Father, for those that got to go, God bless them, God keep them, God make his face to shine upon them. May he bless their going in and may he bless their coming out. For those that will stay in fellowship, Father, bless this food to our bodies, the conversation to your name. Bless the hands that have provided it. And for those who just want to sit in your presence, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you.